0: This is a podcast from Multi Faith Matters, and I am the host, John Moorhead, and I'm privileged today for the first episode. We start our second season with this episode. Dev is my guest, Mark Townsend. Mark, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, John. Lovely to be able to meet you
1: and to be able to be here.
0: Yeah, it's great. We've, uh, you know, I, how, I don't know how we uh, got connected. Was it through uh, Phil Wyman, perhaps? We've, we've been connected via Facebook and had some ex- exchanges and comments there. Do you recall?
1: Yeah, I I don't know how it all began. I think it might have been just after I brought out the book Jesus through Paper. Okay. Eyes. Okay. I think that I think that somebody suggested that we have a a bit of a discussion then, and I, I don't know what a whatever reason it didn't happen. But we okay. Yeah, you know, we've been we've been sort of, you know. Uh, posting things ever since i guess
0: yeah yeah well we'll get into that you know uh, jesus through pagan eyes and the volume that i edited uh beyond the burning times it brought a pagan and australian christian together for conversation let me read your bio so folks know yeah about you and if you want feel free to supplement afterwards or Mm -hmm. correct anything i think i've got a, a current bio for you uh mark townsend a former clergyman in the church of england now leads his own inclusive and ecumenical ministry that nourishes a strong appreciation for the diversity of faith beyond Christianity, which strives to honor the divine in all people, regardless of their faith, culture, sexuality, or background. A priest of the Open Episcopal Church, almost an Episcopalian, and member of the Progressive Christian Alliance, in addition to being a member of the Order of Bards, Ovates, and Druids, the author has been featured on the BBC, and several other news programs throughout Britain is the author of Gospel of Falling Down and Jesus Outside the Box, amongst other volumes, and he leaves in, I'm, I hope I pronounce this correctly, he lives in Hereford. 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 Hereford, oh, Hereford. Hereford England. <laughs> I, you know what, I'm just going to have to take a trip to the UK to get corrected. Yeah, how to pronounce things. So that would be awesome. So that's Mark, anything you want to add? Or, or
1: the, the only one? No, the only one thing you mentioned, uh, the Open Episcopal Church. Um, I, I'm not a member anymore. I'm okay. great friends with them. But I'm not a member of, of that particular church anymore. But I am still a member of the Progressive Christian Alliance. Okay. so I don't Yeah, know. No, that, that's great.
0: Yeah, I might have grabbed this off off Amazon, or I don't know if it was your website or what have you, but in the program notes for folks, I will include uh, the bio and a a link to your website and all of that. I I was especially struck when I looked at your website um, by your, you're providing a a ministry, a service to people who may not have connections, uh, you know, with the church. I know, I, I, I don't know how much you know about the United States, but I'm in Utah and it's pr- predominantly Mormon, Latter-day Saint uh, population, but yeah. you've got an increasing uh, number of non-Latter-day Saint and people who aren't affiliated with church. And I discovered when I moved out here, as in California, where I was previously, there are people who don't go to church and yet still right. need, uh, they want at certain times in their life, when weddings, yeah. funerals, that kind of thing. They need people yeah. to get involved. And if they don't have formal church connections, it's hard to find that. So I appreciate Yeah. You're doing it? How did you was it just you felt a need?
1: Do you know it because I was a, a as you read out, I was a, a priest in the, in the Church of England for a while. Um, when, I, when I eventually left, what happened was people just started coming to me to ask me to do things for them, uh, primarily funerals, um, people who were sort of who saw themselves somewhere at the edge, you know, they didn't really want to go down the the path of um, of religion, but they didn't want to go humanist or atheist. They, they just felt somewhere in between, and ever since then, I've sort of sat in that place. So I, um, I kind of one one of the one of the terms that some of my my other friends call me as a hedge priest because a hedge is between two fields you know Mm. between two gardens and so um yeah and and, um but I always kind of had that approach even when I was a church living vicar um or the vicar is a priest you know right um yeah I I always I always took that kind of approach I, I wanted to meet people where they were at rather than try to force them into a box um or any particular um you know religiosity
0: yeah, yeah I, I know. I know that that can be a challenge I've done. I have my own religious convictions as you do yours. Mm. And uh, I've met with people who don't share those and yet trying to modify, you know, how you would do a ceremony so that yeah. it's still something you resonate with. And it also uh, meets their needs can be kind yeah. of a challenge to navigate that. So I appreciate yeah. what you're doing. I wish I could do more of it here. It's just so hard to get word out, you know, if people aren't connected to certain, uh, you know, religious networks, it's its hard to mm. let people know, but uh, I'm glad to see what you're doing in the UK. I thought it would be uh, interesting for us to have a conversation. You know, we mentioned that we've been connected uh, on Facebook for a while now. And mm-hmm. I don't know why we haven't had a conversation before, but we haven't. So here we are. Mm-hmm. And I thought rather than just exchanging comments on Facebook I don't know about you but I don't think Facebook lends itself very well to any kind of uh productive uh conversation on you know on uh, deep kinds of subjects so I thought we would do it here but before we get into some questions and and contrasting you know these kinds of things can you share a little bit about your story because you know people aren't just about what they believe they aren't about ideas it's a part of a journey
1: what's your journey yeah okay so um, I um a pretty mixed up young lad who um uh was into all sorts of things when I was growing up. Um I didn't particularly feel um very kind of happy with myself. For some reason I, I grew up with a bit of a chip on my shoulder. I'm not sure why. Um I was bullied a bit at school. Um, I was quite frightened of of authority and um never really felt particularly. I suppose, you know, it's not a sob story, but particularly (laughs) loved, you know, I I was, I was, um, and it's nothing to do with my family. I just grew up that way, you know, Um, and um, so so from a a kind of young age, I was, I I saw myself as sort of searching for something, something beyond, and I very quickly got into um, all sorts of um, paranormal stuff, um, Mm. not practicing it, but sort of searching for Um, UFOs, Men in Black, um, you know, spiritualism, all all those kind of things, Uri Geller. And and alongside that, I also got into uh, performance magic, as in, um, you know, illusions like David Blaine, Mm. stuff like that, because I, I kind of see it this way, that one was kind of trying to tap into those kind of experiences and the other was trying to sort of mimic them. But alongside that was this kind of feeling of not really being worth a lot and so when i got into my teens um it didn't um didn't happen automatically but i i just started feeling sort of religious thoughts and um i hadn't had a particularly religious background but i um i started to uh, explore things um I f- first thing i did was phoned up the the local vicar which is the local church of england chap uh, I didn't get a very satisfactory response from that particular person um, but in the end I found my my stepbrother was going along to a pentecostal church and um and he took me along this was I guess I was about 15 years of years of age and of course the pentecostal church it, it is both a sort of supernatural experience of god but also it's something that so it kind of caught me that way but it's also something that for a young guy who didn't think a lot of himself to hear about this god who loved you and who died for you was very powerful and so um i was hooked so that was my first kind of taste of of religion really of of, or of of a faith a spiritual faith um now i'm a natural questioner and um i i i didn't after a couple of years i mean it was very powerful few years being with that particular church but I started asking questions and the questions I was asking were not being answered satisfactorily. So I, I very, I I sort of got myself squeezed out of that church Um, in terms of just being someone who, who um, I I suppose was just a natural questioner. And um, one thing led to another, I spent some time in Israel, um, this is pro- probably about 19 years of age, I went over to Israel for four months just to try to kind of clear my head, do something completely different and um, I came back a completely different person because I'd experienced some of the, the more traditional holy places and, and the Catholic and the Orthodox traditions in and around Jerusalem. Um, by the time I got back home, I I just couldn't fit back into that sort of pentecostal tradition and so i ended up in the cv after all um and um and i had a I, I, along those years uh, or during that um that time i had something of a, a sort of religious calling um, and that kind of came with me so that's how i ended up a, a cv vicar um that's a a pretty long Um, answer to your question but but that's that that's that's my (laughs) kind of background um yeah um and all the time I am kind of I find myself and I'm doing this right now I I sort of get settled and then I feel unsettled again and it's a sort of process of of I suppose finding something and, and then seeing the cracks and then moving on and finding something else and so even being ordained in the Church of England, which was for me a very beautiful and powerful experience, and, and ending up with my own church, even that didn't sort of satisfy in the end, you know, and um, various things led to the the, the end of that story. Um, but, um, yeah, I mean, I'm waffling now. If I, because um, I'm just going to see, I put a, a little crib sheet there <laughs> just because I knew that would... I knew I'd, so if I, if I just answer again, um, you know, what it was that led me to leave the church mm-hmm. of England. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Go ahead. Okay. So in, in many ways, this is the most difficult thing that I, that I know I have to answer. Um, and um, as I've explained, I've been someone with a very searching mind. I've been someone who, who doesn't often feel kind of like I fit and I was feeling that within the Church of England as, as a as a vicar, um, I ended up in a second post, um, where I was vicar of a large priory, um, and at the same time, my marriage was falling apart. Um, now, with all that was going on, and and there were, it, it was a particularly difficult um, period for me in terms of finding. Uh, friendship and support as well so I felt very much alone and I did the most stupid thing which um, often happens I'm afraid I let my heart out to the wrong person and I tried to look for support in a place that I shouldn't have and I ended up um, making a huge mistake and I probably don't need to explain what that means but it ended up with me um, you know living a lie for a while and um, when that was all over because things like that cannot continue I was then about to move to a third post and I knew that I had to um, face my bishop um, as he put his hand on my head and and licensed me for this new post and I knew that I needed to go and confess everything to him before doing that um, I wouldn't have been able to live with myself had I not do that so I knew it was a great risk and um, and that was my departure from the church of england he um he phoned me back in a couple of days time and um and said he wanted me to resign for three years um now during those three years um i had stretched in such a way that i when i finally got my license back in the church of england i i was a different person but um that's just something that's part of my story and and um and a lot of what else i'll say in this interview will um We'll relate back to that so thank you
0: great right. I think that's a very important because uh, again it's it's not just about ideas it's also th- these we we adopt ideas and practices based upon you know our, our life journey and uh, and mm. that can change and so yeah. uh, that's yeah. important as people you know listen to our conversation they know what kind of context mm. in your life journey just really mm. quickly for folks who uh the who follow this podcast regularly may know but in mm. case they don't my own journey is different here in the american context i was involved mm-hmm. in a, a mormon offshoot in my teens mm-hmm. and then got involved uh, after becoming an evangelical in a very very mm. conservative form of it and was involved mm. in what's called uh, counter-cult apologetics right and i thought that the way to warm people's hearts to the gospel message was to tell them they were unbiblical and uh, and, and going to hell and this kind of thing uh, yeah. Thankfully, um, I've always tried to be open-minded as much as I can and try and be well-read, and I was reading in missiology and the history of Christian mission mm. and sociology of religion, and I discovered different perspectives, mm. and that eventually uh, led me to, toward a seminary education with a, a major in intercultural studies, Right. And I've always uh, been interested in in the dialogical approach, that one can still disagree, but do so respectfully and, and as yeah. a part of a, a journey that one takes with others. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, so folks who may hear me disagree with you as the conversation progresses, it's not rooted in any kind of American fundamentalism. Mm-hmm. I, I'm very self-critical about my faith, perhaps to a fault. Um, I know uh, kind of the popular term these days is deconstruction, and I try and frame mm-hmm. it a little more positively uh, evangelicalism reimagined what would That's it magic. look like doing things you know differently and so i yeah. have rethought a lot of the aspects of my faith as well as a part of my life journey that has been different than yours so just a little context yeah, for sure. for folks as we go along so i appreciate that having heard that long story if you were to come up with a few labels that would describe you and, and your spiritual journey what would those be
1: yeah I'm um, progressive um certainly uh, nature-based. Um, I'm happy to use the term Christian. There was a period where I wasn't, um, and maybe some of that was to do with sort of pain, personal pain. Maybe some of it was to do with um, perceptions that other people have of, of that word. But I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm happier now, Christian. Um, I am still member of the the Order of Bards, Ovates, and Druids. Um uh, So I'm kind of druidic in terms of how I approach things as well, um, which we can get on to. Um, Magical. I don't mean me, but I believe Earth is magical. Life is magical. Um, So, yeah, those are the sort of terms I'd use.
0: Okay, I think that's helpful to allow you to have your own <laughs> labels rather than folks who try and, and label you accordingly. Um, yeah. I, I think if I were to come up with some for my own, I'm more comfortable, even though I still somewhat reluctantly consider myself an evangelical. I'm not I don't really identify with much with American evangelicalism. I do British evangelicalism, right. I'm not I'm just interested in the, in the culture wars over creation, evolution and, hmm. and these kinds of things. I, I, I've moved on. I try to uh, bring my faith into conversation with other religious traditions, with science. Um, so I appreciate, I think, dialogue, neighborliness, hospitality, all those things. And I think I am more comfortable with uh, a Jesus follower or a disciple yeah. of Jesus than I am with, you know, uh, evangelical and those kinds of things. So yeah, sure. anyway, that, that's a little foundation for, for you and I in, in the rest of our conversation as we proceed here. Um can you connect some of those labels that you provided with me with uh your book, Diary of a Heretic? What were you what were you trying to do? Is it just telling your story in that context? Or what are you trying yeah, to sure. accomplish
1: there? So this this goes back to the the original story. And, and I, I think I feel like I made a mess of that story, to be honest. Because <laughs> <laughs> it's because it's something that still kind of hurts me, I suppose, and I still feel a, a certain mm. amount of shame over. Um, but um yeah, that 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 was a a book i i write books for myself now that sounds quite pretentious really but i i write books because i find that it's the way that i learn you know i ask myself a question and then i do some research and then actually even more importantly than the research i just listen to myself talking it through and i i believe that my books anyway are kind of dialogues with myself my first book was all about the dialogue that we have in our heads all the time, the gospel of falling down and the, the, the different voices that we hear. But Diary of a Heretic was um, it was me trying to work out where I was as someone who had, who had left mainstream Christianity, had found a another path, which was Druidry, you know, the, the, the ancient nature based tradition of, of, of Britain. Um, and trying to follow myself through a year so i wrote a kind of diary almost every day di- diary entries just following what was happening because another thing that i do feel and this maybe sounds a bit silly maybe but <laughs> i do feel that when when we go through changes and when we grow and when we expand and especially when when it seems re- we're on a path that we need to go on i feel that we we spot things that are kind of synchronistic more out there and in in the world and in our life and um and almost magical things and so that book reading through it now and i've done that a bit just to because i know that you you'd you'd read it we had a look at it recently um it's filled with these little Sort of almost embarrassing synchronicities that I I take note of, not because it's God showing us anything, but but I think it's just life, maybe patting us on the back and saying you you know you, you there's something here, there's something more, and um you know these meaningful coincidences. So that the, so that was a book, um which I it's, it was in a, many ways a, a lazy book because I I just I just wrote it every morning or, every, or whenever I felt like it. And I followed the sort of things, the movements, the things that were happening in my life. So I followed myself to, to different experiences that I'd never had before, like going to a, a witch's coven or something and, and, and exploring. Um, you know, I mean, I'd, I've had so many adventures these last decade or so that, that I never would have dreamed of before. Um, some were, you know, quite unnerving and almost frightening. Um and I'd I'd been on you know vision quests and um, you know gone on druid camps and all sorts of things. So I I I wanted to to follow my own life as a ex Christian priest in a pagan world and just see what was going on. And I, I see all of these as as you know they're not about the answer they're about the journey. And um, you know at the end of all of my books I, I'm kind of almost thinking you know what. Or I'm asking the question, what's next? You know, where where else am I going to be led? Because I find it so thrilling, really. And again, that's why that story that I told about my exit from the Church of England was something I had to do because it was like a gift. It was releasing me into this um, place where I am now, which I'm still at. And even even the last few months, you know, I'm going in a different direction. Um, You know, so... So that was that book. Does that answer that? Yeah, yeah.
0: <laughs> and, and I appreciate the continuing journey and asking questions and all that. Hmm. I mean, I think, um, you know, I thought, well, oh, I'll go to seminary years ago. And then after I go to seminary, I got to figure it out. Right. And I actually hmm. think I've learned more. Not Nothing wrong with my seminary. But uh, mm-hmm. I think I've learned more post-seminary uh, than I ever yeah. did uh, when I was going. And uh, I don't know if that makes me... Um, uh, a really poor Christian or a really good one, because I continually, you know, probe and, and ask questions and, and mm. rethink things. So I think we yeah. have that in common. Um, Definitely. Yeah. So you you talked about, you've talked about Druidry, and you've got a book, uh, Jesus Through Pagan Bridging Neo-Pagan Perspectives with a Progressive Vision of Christ. Yeah. Uh, how do those things come together? What were you trying to accomplish <laughs> with that book? And, and how did you connect with Druidry?
1: Yeah. So again, it's it's something I needed to do. Um, I, w- I was. It's actually an American publisher that they um, they offered me the opportunity to, to to write a book and to come up with a subject. So I thought this this is a real gift. And to me, the the big thing that I discovered after leaving mainstream Christianity and getting involved in in pagan groups, and 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 most of these pagans still knowing that I, or still thinking of me as a priest, even though I was moving away from that myself. Um, Conversations that I had about Christianity, which I started to call churchianity, maybe cruelly. um, I discovered that many of these pagans actually loved Jesus or had a a huge respect for him um, and yet couldn't stand the church. You know, had real issues. A lot of them had come from church backgrounds. I, I went to a very big gathering of um, of druids in Glastonbury, and I did a presentation on the stage. And I asked them at one point how many just hands up have come from a Christian background. It was well over uh, three. Well, I would say about three quarters of them. It was a huge amount, um, and and a lot of those Roman Catholics. Um, and 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 so they they had this kind of church background that they'd rejected but talking to them um jesus was still someone that they had a great affection for and then other pagans who were not from christian backgrounds also seemed to have this fascination with jesus as a person now um, so i decided i want to write a book about jesus but not for not for christians and not for christo pagans the ones who kind of you know hybrids (laughs) but for pagans who are fully paid who see themselves as fully pagan and who have lots of gods and value the from the gods of india to the gods of norway to the gods of uh, great britain but seem to in many ways they seem there seems to be a gap when it comes to to the the god of of christianity so i i wanted to try and find out is there some way not that i could bring jesus to them at all because it's not an evangelistic book but to to kind of give them this, um, or to give me, because I was at that stage feeling that I was going full blown into paganism. But could I still hold on to Jesus as a friend and be a pagan? That was really the premise of the book. Um, and um, again, as I said earlier on, you know, the the, the 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 journey is still continuing, and I and I'm changing in my sort of view of this. But reading through because it's about 10 years ago that this this book came out um and the other thing about it of course was that that i I was able to interview maybe 20 of the of the the leading figures in in world paganism on jesus and some of them wrote me wonderful essays some of them uh, answered questions and all of them blew my mind with the sort of things they were saying about this person that that is at the heart of christianity so um so the book really uh begins with or the it's in three sections but the, the first section is trying to peel away first of all the if you can do this the, the christian layers from jesus the man um so i got into historical jesus um stuff and um and i i i soon came across this notion we we we're all aware of the the idea of the jesus of history versus the christ of faith um i think there are actually three there's the jesus of jesus of history the christ of faith the orthodox christ um and the cosmic christ or the universal christ and we see all of those in the bible and um and i kind of i'm not an academic i'm not a scholar so i'm using other people's works um but I kind of came up with this this tripart Christ this 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 um, idea of three Jesuses, and I was interested that when I shared that with my pagan friends, Jesus history absolutely they have no no issues at all. They'd think of him as uh, one of their own in a sense, and the cosmic Christ, the universal Christ, the spark of deity in in all things. That's very much a pagan concept anyway, so no problem where they have the issue is with the Jesus Christ of the church, or as Marcus Borg will call it, the the post Easter Christmas, Jesus. Um, And this is something now that I'm going through myself. So if you ask me questions about this, I'm not going to be at all clear, because I'm still, (laughs) you know, but I I kind of, um, it just made sense to me. And in a sense, it gave me a little bit back, um, because I didn't want to chuck the baby out with the bath water, you know. Um, and I couldn't anyway. I mean, I've I've worn a cross all the way through this because I still love the person of Jesus, um, and I still feel the presence of Christ. But I I also have issues with what the church has done to that person of Jesus, um, making him feel exclusive and um. I don't know. It's sometimes even unforgiving, um, you know. So, so that's what this this book was about. It, it was trying to to give a picture of Jesus, or to, or to 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 present a picture of Jesus that would be um, exciting and, um, and quite maybe quite challenging, but liberating to to pagan people.
0: That's a helpful backstory, and and as I think we mentioned at the beginning when we started this conversation, I think it was your efforts in regards to that book, and I think maybe around the same time uh, I was working on uh, the book that came out Beyond the Burning Times as editor. Mm-hmm. And um, if folks want to, you know, pick up either of our our books, they're different perspectives with similar goals in bringing. Mm. Christians and Pagans Together for Conversation. Um, My own story in regards to the book was I had been looking at paganism and and studying it, having dialogues with pagans because some Australian Christian colleagues of mine had been doing this for a while. And they said, you know, if you're looking for another religious tradition that you might want to get to know, um, this would be a good one. And I started, I dove in. And then I came across uh, American uh, pagan uh, writer, Gus, and I hope I'm pronouncing Gus's last, Gus, Gus DeZariga, I think is how he pronounces it. And he wrote a book, and I think it was called Pagans and Christians. Hmm. And he wrote it in such a way as if a pagan and Christian were having a dialogue. And I thought, well, I appreciate hmm. the effort, but wouldn't it be great if a pagan and Christian really had a dialogue?
1: Yeah. And okay. so I
0: reached out to Gus, and I said, you know, if I can find... Uh, a respectful, knowledgeable Christian to have a conversation, would you be willing to do it in print? And he said, yes. Yeah. So I connected Philip Johnson in Australia with Gus and they had a conversation and like your book, it's, it's not evangelistic. It's trying to look at, you know, key concepts of divinity and creation and our nature and all kinds of things hmm. to find out uh, commonalities and differences. And, and uh, I remember, a few years ago, when those our books came out, there is a, an American pagan website, and I can't remember the name of it, um, but it was listing uh, Christian efforts at addressing paganism. And I think both of our books are mentioned in the same piece. Right.
1: Yeah, do you remember the name of that? Excellent. I can't. No, uh, I
0: can't remember. It. Anyway, um, it w- whenever I would pop in on that pagan website, it was kind of like a love hate thing. They would appreciate what mm. I was trying to do, but you know, Moorhead mm. still, still a Christian, Joe's still trying to you know evangelize this kind of thing. Mm. Um, but uh, so we do have that that commonality yeah. as well there. Yeah. Um, I so- had I
1: had that as well. I, I had quite a lot of criticism from various pagan voices, mm. um, some quite. Um, I don't know there was even, um, even on Amazon, the, you know, the, the reviews, some, some were quite damning and, and clearly hadn't read the book because because mm. um, they were assuming that my whole purpose was to to um, evangelize pagans and it's nothing like
0: that. Yeah. Well, <laughs> and, so. and to be fair, as you know, uh, many pagans uh, have had a, a bad relationship with yeah. Christianity and Christians in the past. And there's that historical, concern and clash. So these kinds of reactions are are certainly understandable. Continuing on, you you mentioned Marcus Borg, and I I think that's helpful. Mm. Before, I want to have a conversation about that question of the cosmic Christ, because that's one area Mm. where we would disagree. You mentioned Marcus Mm. Borg, uh, and you and I uh, mentioned this when we had an exchange uh, I think it was in uh, through Facebook uh, prior, mm-hmm. in the book, In the Meaning of Jesus, Marcus Borgadenti writes a fascinating conversation where these two scholars um, talked about what, what does Jesus mean, and they come away with there's some areas of overlap, but there are also some areas of difference. And, mm-hmm. and what I think is helpful at the beginning of that book is they each talk about their perspectives they bring to unpacking answers to that question. They talk about worldview, literary sources, history, mm-hmm. and that kind of a thing. And because they're coming from different vantage points, they come away with different interpretations. And I think the same thing is going to be true of you and I in mm-hmm. looking at that question of cosmic mm-hmm. Christ. So what kinds of mm-hmm. frames do you bring to try and understand Jesus the way in which you do now that, that help provide answers to that question?
1: Um the big thing for me is experience, and um, and also um, the, the. I suppose the the biggest um, voice uh, who has has kind of helped me in 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 holding on to some sense of Christianity has been Father Richard Raw, the the Franciscan um, priest based in Albuquerque. Um, I met him about twenty-two years ago, and um, for a different reason, because he was he was wonderful on on uh, the idea of, of brokenness being something that is valuable, and that's perfect for me. Um, so I went on a like a, a vision quest retreat with him, but he he seems to to me um, to be able to articulate a wonderful um, vision. Of, of christianity that remains kind of orthodox in a way because he's never been silenced by rome and that's something you know um and um and he's he, 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 he I, I would say that he's he is far more orthodox than someone like matthew fox with his approach but what he says about cosmic christ and and the way that he explains it the way that he sees it as an ancient belief and that he, he follows it through certain saints particularly the celtic tradition the franciscan tradition so it's very much part of of, of ancient um uh, and medieval christianity um and and it it simply refers to the uh, divine aspect of matter you know where uh, he would say when deity and um and deity and matter come together you get incarnation and so he he would say that the or i think he would say that the incarnation of christ is uh, is true and is also true for all of us um and is true for all things that there is this um this divine spark you know within all things within all matter and i know that you can find um phrases and, and, uh, scriptural phrases that might disagree with that, but you can also find others that, that kind of affirm it, you know, even in Paul. Um, and that's, that's what works for me. You know, I, I just feel, I think sometimes it's a matter of where your heart feels comfortable. Um, and that might sound again, sort of egocentric, you know, who are we to decide what truth is, but it just works for me. Um, you know, I, I, I see, I see God as a loving creator through, through, um, through his will, we are created, everything is. So it makes sense that his image would be within his creation. Um, I was thinking the other day that if you look at a, an artist that you're familiar with, like Rembrandt or Monet or whatever, you, you kind of know who it is before you see it because you know their style. And you know, I think of us as almost like that. That you know, we, we have the mark of the creator in us. And I would say that that's what cosmic Christ is. It's um, you know, it's uh, it's the divine within all things. And um, and to me, the the beauty of Christianity and I know Christianity means so many different things to different people um, but to, to, to me it is about sort of awakening people or, or helping people to remember what we already are. I see sacraments like that. Um, I see I, I see marriages like that. I see marriage, the sacrament of marriage to me is not the minister or the priest marrying two people it's those two people recognizing what they already are, which is, which is married and, and, and then asking God's blessing. Um, I see the Eucharist in the, in the same, in the same way. I see baptism in the same way as, you know, plunging um, in, in our tradition, we, we baptize babies, plunging that baby into the love of God and saying you are already a child of God. You know, I know that does sound woolly and liberal and but that, that's kind of, <laughs> that's where I am in it. Um,
0: yeah, yeah. No, I appreciate that. I, I, I too appreciate the experiential. I think also the reason why I would come up with a different understanding than you do is I also want to be a good student of worldview of the context of Second Temple Judaism and what was mm-hmm. going on in Jewish thought, uh, messianic expectations, um, these mm-hmm. kinds of things. So we disagree. Not It's not that I'm trying to force creeds upon the text. Mm. I I do think creeds are important. I think the church spent a lot of time trying to think in their own cultural context what that Mm. Jesus experience meant. I'm not saying discard creeds, but I think even the creeds need to be uh, carefully assessed. I think our church traditions uh, and beliefs, just because a a given denomination says this is it, doesn't mean that's necessarily so. Um, So we just need to, to rethink these things. And so I I appreciate the the frameworks that you and I are bringing to uh, the very different conclusions Mm -hmm. that I think we come to on the cosmic Mm -hmm. Christ. Now, you said a little bit about it in your book, uh, Diary of a Heretic. You say Jesus is you posted this recently. I found it interesting Uh, again on uh, Facebook recently. Jesus is the man whom the Christ was somehow strangely embodied. Others have also embodied this Christ nest, not least the Buddha. Christ is a concept slash reality of an incarnating incarnating spark of God in all things. This is a panentheistic approach to the, to the divine. Would you would you add anything to that to help folks understand what you're trying to communicate there?
1: There's quite a lot in, in that, and I'm I'm kind of in a way I'm I'm kind of crossing over. It begins with the idea of of Jesus in, um, Jesus himself being. Um, the, the, the human incarnation of this cosmic Christ um, and then sort of recognizing um, or me recognizing that, or like I said before, that I, I do believe that Jesus comes to show us what all of us are in, at least potentially, you know, like a mirror. Um, and I know that's probably more sort of gospel of Thomas than the <laughs> gospel of John, but, um, <laughs> but it's sort of um, uh, it makes it just makes sense to me to see Jesus in this way. Um, it's it's the only way really that I can hold on to him. I I I I can't really cope with the 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 sort of literalized I am the way of of John. You know, I, I have to I, I have to make the metaphors because to me that it's too harsh, it's too in the club or outside the club. And when I when I talk about the Buddha. A lot of people have said that, um, you know, the Buddha nature is is a very similar concept, even though Buddhism is completely different to Christianity and and, and in a sense comes from a a totally different, um, you know, metaphysics and everything. It's um, there are similarities in the the fact that the Buddha was um, an actual historical person and Mm -hmm. Jesus was. And yet they both represent more than that. They represent what is um you know the, the the sacredness in us that's that's how i see it um what else because i it was a pretty dense thing that you just yeah. read. What, what, um what,
0: you mentioned what, uh let's see the christ is the concept slash reality of an incarnating spark of god in all things and then a panentheistic approach to the yeah
1: day. yeah um <sighs> again, I've had this struggle, you know, I ask myself every so often, what is God? And I mean, who who on earth can begin to answer that? Um, but I, I've kind of come round to thinking about this. Um, God is, of course, transcendent. God, God is everywhere. God is beyond. God is, in that sense, unknowable. And yet, surely, the the christ part of god is that god is knowable that god does come close to us that god is some someone that we can have a relationship with or at least he symbolizes that and so to me panentheism is a is a great term even though it's quite a modern term but a great term for sort of talking about the the imminence as well as the transcendence and, and that god is right here right now with you with me inside this microphone inside that candle you know god is everywhere and and i don't think that's particularly radical i mean we talk about the um, omnipresence of god and surely that means god is, is is everywhere and in all things um maybe not but that's that's the, way, <laughs> that's the that's the way i understand that
0: yeah well i again i appreciate that perspective i think by way of response uh, again because i want to Understand the New Testament texts within their context of Second Temple mm. Judaism. I don't know that panentheism fits. You know, Judaism has mm. been classically understood as as embracing monotheism, monotheism right? Yeah, and yeah. and holding intention both transcendence and immanence, but not in the sense that the divine nature of being is infused within everything. So mm-hmm. um, h- having said all that, I, th- I think N.T. Wright would uh, I like your response to one thing he says in that his conversation with Mark, Marcus Borg. Um, he says, as I follow this path, the one he's already laid out as to how he uh, disagrees with Marcus Borg, I discovered Jesus who was not simply an example, even the supreme example of a mystic or spirit person, such as one might meet in principle in other cultures. Hmm. I find, rather, the Jesus I have just been describing, Jesus is a first century Jewish prophet announcing and inaugurating the kingdom of God, summoning others to join him, warning of the consequences if they do not, doing all of this in symbolic actions and indicating in symbolic actions and encrypted, cryptic and coded sayings that he believed he was Israel's Messiah, the one through whom the true God would accomplish his decisive purpose. Hmm. Is is there... Do you, is there any of that you identify with you go beyond it or what would the distinction that, be for
1: you? That's moving to a different question now. Um, and some of that, yeah, of course I, I identify with the, this historical um, man who leads a movement and who's expecting something. I don't myself at the moment feel that Jesus would have applied messianic language to himself. I I just, because, because I kind of trust. Um, I trust the scholars that are telling me that there is a a big distinction between the pre and post Easter Jesuses, and it and it, and it it helps me again to make sense of the Bible to to see part of it as interpretation looking back, and part of it as history remembered. And there are certain parts of the Jesus story that I find easier to understand in terms of the church's reflection and therefore not coming from the man himself. And that's probably one of them. Um, I certainly place John's I am statements in that category as as, um, metaphorical statements that were put into Jesus's mouth rather than remembered. I can't can't, um, harmonize Mark's Jesus who says, only God is good with John as Jesus, who almost says, I am God. You know, I I, I can't harmonize that. Mm-hmm. The only way I can do that is is to understand and to take on board the historical Jesus scholarship. But on the other hand, so that's the, the, that's one part of, of what NT Wright was saying. But on the on the other hand, um, as a metaphor, then yeah, I mean, you know, um, I have no problem at all. And this is where we're getting back to cosmic Christ. You know, I, I, I've even been (laughs) rethinking or, or or re-exploring partly in preparation for talking to you, um, the, the resurrection and what that means to me. Um, I'm not someone who has to have a bodily resurrection. I'm not someone who has to have an empty tomb. Um, I have, to both of the places where they say jesus rose from the dead in jerusalem and one of them was incredibly impressive and and, and brought tears to my eyes i don't need the empty tomb um to, to be a follower of jesus myself but i i am coming around to believing that there was a surge of power um, that was a resurrection of some description that affected those disciples and turned them from people who would run away to people who were prepared to, to die for the faith. So, um, so even now, you know, I'm still modifying and exploring and, and moving on and coming back and quizzing myself and testing myself. Um, and that, that resurrection of Christ is cosmic. That's what I think Paul met on the road to Damascus. You know, I don't think, he bumped into a physical Jesus, you know, I think he, he was thrown off his, off his horse by a blinding light, which was some sort of cosmic experience of a cosmic Christ. Um, and of course he wouldn't have used that language, but, but um, yeah, does that, I, 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 feel like I'm waffling. Um, no, no, no. no. That...
0: I, I just wondered what your response would be <laughs> to that. I, I just uh, by way of response to what you said, I, um, hmm even though I take a different view, not because hmm. I'm making a dichotomy be- between the Jesus of history and the Jesus of faith. I, I think the Jesus of faith must of necessity be intimately connected with the Jesus of history. Hmm. And as you know, there are scholars who, who would take a different view on how to understand and, and those the relationship between the two. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I would take issue even within my, my own tribe with those who would Understand a Jesus of of faith that is divorced, that isn't properly rooted within the Judaism of uh, of, of yeah. Second Temple Judaism and so on. So, um, I just I think we need to do our careful homework and make sure that whatever we come away with by way of faith commitments, that it is mm. properly grounded accordingly. So, yeah. Um,
1: yeah, that
0: would just be kind of my response to it. One last thing in the few minutes that we we have remaining in our conversation here, um, what kind of approach do you take in interfaith kinds of conversation as it relates to uh, what seem to be irreconcilable differences between traditions? You did a post um, not too long ago in Facebook where you you talked about love, um, and that was kind of the common element between all religious traditions, and I appreciate the sentiment, and it's certainly there, but even even in something as foundational to human experience is love, it plays a different role and is understood differently in the religious tradition. So what's the relationship between commonality and difference for you in interfaith relationships?
1: First of all, the, the, the romantic in me gets a little carried away at times. <laughs> so, so I, I know of course there, and I mean, you know, even that, that word love um, one of the, one of the things that I struggled with within paganism was um, was the the notion of divine love? Because a lot of pagans simply don't believe in it. I mean, some gods will love you and hate you the next minute. You know, I mean, it's it's very it's a difficult tradition in that sense. Um, in fact, um, you mentioned Gus's book. Um, I'm not going to attempt to pronounce his second name, but um, he gave a beautiful description of the unconditional love of the goddess. And that, to me, was I. I, I had it on my wall f- uh, for a while because it was while I was going through those sort of pagan years. That was something I really wanted to cling on to because I couldn't find much of it within that tradition. Um, even though they were the most loving people, um, my druid friends. And I, I love them to bits, and they really walk the talk. You know, they they do um, ooze with with unconditional love. Um, even though, strangely they don't require it from from the gods (laughs) Uh, it's a strange one but yeah i mean i think we have to be we have to be realistic and honest we have to realize first of all that eastern traditions and religions are completely different from western even in in where they begin in terms of what this stuff is you know it's not to me it's not an illusion to me matter is real um and um and of course, when we start to say things like all roads lead to God or, or everything's the same underneath, I think that's possibly quite offensive to, to people from other religions. I was listening to a podcast um the other day, and I forget now who it was, but he, he he said um one of the things that he loves in his interfaith dialogue when he speaks to Imams and rabbis is when they say to him, As a as a Christian, you obviously believe in jesus who said turn the other cheek well, why don't you <laughs> you know because he and he it was a real like he, he was being convicted by non-christians who knew jesus um and who knew what jesus stands for and who was saying why don't christians realize that why why don't they follow that jesus or the jesus who who says, go another mile, or, or the Jesus who says, blessed are the peacemakers or love your enemy. So, so that kind of interfaith dialogue, when it's very honest and very and recognising the differences, we can all learn from each other. I, um, I think it's it's similar in a way to um, even interdenominational dialogue. <laughs> um, I was at a theological college in, in Oxford where... We had three colleges all representing the three different traditions, high, low and broad in the, in the Anglican Church. And when we got together to, to put on some sort of worship, it was so watered down and gray that it didn't really suit anybody And I think what we should have done is invite people to the different colleges and just and have a full blown Catholic mass in one and then have a charismatic worship in another and and let people see the differences and celebrate the diversity rather than try to um, have some uniform nothingness. And I'm sure the same is true with with religions. The the Druids that I um, mingle with at the moment, they often have um, gatherings with a local Hindu community and now in, in a sense they're qu- strangely quite similar in their approach but they they will go to a Hindu celebration of of art tea with the lights and, and and they will plug in and they'll be part of it and they'll and they, they wouldn't for the life of them they wouldn't want the Hindu people to try to make it acceptable or water it down in any way um, so yeah I mean my, my approach to interfaith dialogue has always been um, unity in diversity rather than uniformity.
0: Well, we are certainly agreed there. <laughs> <laughs> That's uh, good. And, you know, I kind of inhabit this uh, strange space in interfaith, or I prefer the term multi-faith, because, uh, yeah. you know, interfaith tends to so focus on commonality that it either minimizes or even sometimes ignores the they're just perceived differences, and I, I think they're yeah. very real, and I think yeah. they're they're real and important to people, and that's that's why they gravitate to one tradition versus another. And yeah. I prefer to, yeah. to to acknowledge and work through and hold that in a peaceful tension. We're going to work together for the common good in spite of our differences in this yeah. area. So, yeah, uh, I, I yeah. think we have more common ground there.
1: Mm. Good,
0: yeah. Well, Mark, uh, we are we've been at this for an hour, and uh, I I appreciate. Uh, you coming all the way from? Uh, is it correct to say across the pond? Is that what we're supposed to yeah, say? Yeah, we're From across the pond <laughs> and uh, and having this conversation. And mm-hmm. one of the things we try to do here at Multi Faith Matters is uh, model respectful conversations through differences. And mm-hmm. I think we've done it.